Luke chapter 6, for this and the three Sundays to follow, we are going to engage our minds and hearts with one of the greatest sermon illustrations of all time given by the Lord Jesus Christ in his teaching in Luke chapter 6, also found in the Gospel of Matthew as well. Today we read, starting at verse 46, hear God's word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who is heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's Word. Hey, you are involved in a building program. Now, if you say that in a church, people start to get nervous that you're going to take up an offering or ask pledge cards to be turned in quite soon. Uh, But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about your personal building program, which each of you are engaged in, in the construction of your life, your Christian profession. You're all involved in in this building program. Some of you a little further along than than others, I understand, but we're all involved in this, and everyone falls, generally speaking, into one of two categories. From the view in heaven, each of us sort of has a label on on our head, Wise or fool, <laughs> right? Wise or, or fool. Now, there may, be, there may be points after that because we understand some are relatively more or less wise, some are relatively more or less foolish, but that's the two, the two terminologies or the two categories that Scripture often divides people into. Everyone falls into one of those two camps. Um, which one you are is determined by the house that you are building. So it seems to me that the most critical thing for us to do as we begin our study of this passage that we've read is to lay out just what is the difference between the two houses that are described here. And we'll do that first by looking at what the difference between the two houses was not. Now, primarily under this point, I want you to observe the significant difference between the two. It's not to be found in size or appearance or shape. Same size, same shape, same color, same everything. In fact, it is clear, I mean, to the, to the untrained eye, it may appear that these two houses are, are identical, that they look and appear to be exactly the, the same. Uh, in fact, it's, it's clear that the people to whom Jesus addressed these words in Luke 6 and also in Matthew 7 are people who actually have some remarkable similarities. Most notably, they are people who make a profession of faith in Jesus. They are allied to Christ. They are on the Jesus team. He says in the verses just before this, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord? These are people like you and me who stand together and recite the creed, about the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the songs about the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak freely about the Lord. We don't just talk about the good Lord. We talk about the Lord, and maybe we even speak of him with some measure of emotion. These folks of whom Jesus speaks here say it with passion and conviction. In fact, they say, Lord, they say it twice. 
They say, Lord, Lord. Jesus is not here talking to atheists. He's not talking to Jehovah's Witnesses either, for neither one of those categories would ever say that Jesus was Lord. They deny the deity and preeminence of Christ, so don't think the difference between the houses is found there. The two houses are not so easily distinguishable. You, you may have two people, both professing, card-carrying Christians, both members of a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church, both carry the same Bible, both have the same Christian decorations in their home, and yet one is building his life on sand and is headed to disaster, while the other is building a strong house that will endure. The difference is not, and I say emphatically, it's not to be found in the appearance, in the size, in the shape of the house. It is a difference that goes beneath the surface. So what then is that difference? The difference, and for all we know, the only difference between the two houses is where they were built. Here's the, the distinction between the good house and the bad house. The good house built by the wise man is built upon what? The rock. It has a solid, firm foundation. The bad house built by the one labeled the fool is constructed without a foundation. It's the single issue that makes all the difference in the world. It's even an issue of life and death. Where will you build your house? You must answer that question. Essentially, it's the same as asking, upon what will you build your life? So you can't just say, you know, hey, I'm going to rent. <laughs> no, no. You've got to have a house. In fact, you are building your house right now. Where are you building it? I've said, well, Jesus said it actually, the great difference in the houses is found in the foundation. So <laughs> why is the foundation so critical? The foundation doesn't make a house pretty or warm or dry. What's the big deal? Some of you may have done some house hunting recently, looking to move, and, uh, and I bet none of you ever looked at a house and said, my what a lovely foundation that house has. You notice uh, the windows, you notice the roof and the style and the size of the house, but the fact is, without a solid foundation, all of that stuff is worthless because the house would be unsafe for human habitation. R.C. Sproul tells the story of, well, he told the story. Maybe he's still telling it, I don't know. <laughs> but he told the story of going to speak at a church in California uh, after one of the earthquakes there. And he arrived at this church, and he saw that it was marked off by tape with warning signs, warning people not to go inside the building. Uh, and he was uh, curious about this because the church looked good, beautiful church. In fact, had lovely new carpeting, had a beautiful chandelier light in the sanctuary. The pews were lovely. Everything looked great. There was just one problem during the earthquake. The foundation of the church had cracked. And now, despite the good looks, it was just a big, beautiful insurance claim. So, do you have a dream house? Do you have a dream house? Do you see yourself seated in your dream home, maybe out by the pool, by the servants' quarters, the, the fireplace there, the maple wood paneling on the walls, vaulted ceilings? You got, you got that place in mind? Dream on, as nice as it all may be, if the foundation is rotten, that house too is a fool's paradise. A fool's paradise because it will not stand. 
Now, of course, Jesus is not interested here in literal houses. I think you understand that. He's interested in human lives. And for a human life to be good and safe and right and sound, it must be built on a proper foundation. And he says there is only one such foundation, one true foundation. And what is that foundation? Don't speak too quickly. (laughs) Maybe you want to say, oh, yes, Pastor, the foundation for the life that is sound and true and good is is Jesus. And that's a good answer. In a different context, that would be the best answer. If I were speaking of a man's justification is standing before God, that, that answer would be the one I would go with, but not so here. What is the foundation described in Luke chapter 6? Well, not too far off. Here it is the word of Christ, okay? It is the word of Christ. That's it. But that's not complete. The best answer, in fact, is the foundation is the hearing and the doing of the word of Christ. So everyone who comes to me and hears my words and what? Acts on them. I will show you who he is like. He's like a man building a house. The foundation then. The hearing and the doing of the word of Christ. For a house to be good, it must be resting on that foundation. That's the rock. If it does not rest there, it is built on, a, on sand. It has no solid foundation. All other ground besides that is sinking sand. Now, hey, hey, mister, hey, lady, you got a nice-looking house. You look good. What's that house built on? If I were to dig beneath the surface of your life, what would I find that you are trusting in, resting on, building upon? Would it be Christ's word or would it be something else, really? The way is narrow that leads to life. Jesus said, few there be that find it. The way is broad that leads to death. Many walk on that path. What makes you think you are among the few? There are all kinds of things upon which humans build, isn't there? There, There's the foundation of human ideas. Maybe you've latched on to the words of a teacher or a guru or an ism, and you're living accordingly. If it's not God's word, you're building on sand. Watch out. There is a storm coming. The, The highway of human ideas, well, that's slippery when wet. Some of you are building your life on money. Financial stability and security and wealth. Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own, what? In his own imagination. Yeah. What will happen to your cash in the storm? Proverbs 11, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. You think money is where it's at? Jesus says, in fact, you are a... Fool, you're building on sand, but some of you know better than that. You're not building your life on money. You're building your life on people, on relationships, maybe on other Christians. You just love Christian fellowship, and as long as you're surrounded by your supportive friends, you're fine. But when they're gone, your building collapses. I've spoken with many who used to be very active in in church and busy serving Christ, but no more, and I come to find out that they quit following Christ because somebody in the church did them wrong. Maybe the pastor disappointed them, and after that, their religious affection just died. They no longer followed Christ in truth. Scripture would tell us they never really did. They went with the group. They followed the leader. In so doing, they built on sand. So again, my friends, learn this. All other ground is sinking 
sand, people, money, philosophy, and there's more. Another form of sand might be religious or mystical experience. Some people just construct their whole life on some religious experience. Maybe they've been, they've been healed or they spoke in tongues or they saw the face of Jesus in the clouds one day. They had a dream, dreams, visions, voices. They're as fine as far as they go, but God does not want you to put your trust ultimately there. Let the word of Christ in Colossians 2.18 be sufficient. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, stake, taking his stand on visions he has seen. No, no, you take your stand on the written word of God. Now, related to that is the sand of emotion. Many, many build houses on emotion. They, they feel favorable to Jesus. They feel inclined toward Jesus, and, and they go with him. In the Pilgrim's Progress Sunday School class, we were talking today about Mr. Pliable, and he was kind of like that. He went the Jesus way as long as it felt good. They do well as long as their Christianity gets along with their emotions. But when the emotions abandon Jesus, so does the person. Do you not recognize that emotions flutter about like a paper flag on a windy day? To build on emotions is folly. It's to build on sand in a windy desert. Faith, real biblical faith on the other hand, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is the art of clinging to truth despite your moods. The art of clinging to what you've once accepted as true despite your changing moods. The final false foundation is that of general prosperity. And I mean circumstances are great, family life is great, Good health, good business, all of that's going well. And if all of these are good, then religion is good for you too. But your business drops off, your kids get sick, and it's, well, Jesus, Jesus, who really has time for Jesus? Once I had a guy a long time ago when I was doing youth ministry. <laughs> argue that Christianity could not possibly be true because he could not get any Christian girls to go out with him. <clears throat> I praise God my spiritual life is built on something stronger than your dating life. But I warn you, it's easy when things are going well to build your life on your prosperity. But that prosperity is sinking sand. You see, many, many people are in a building program like that, and many are building a Christian house with the words, Lord, Lord, on the front door, but, but, but your house may be constructed with the boards of religious notions and the walls of Christian songs and the mortar of Christian activities and yet lack the foundation of hearing and following through on the word of Christ. Such a house built on any of the foundations I've mentioned other than this one faces the doom described in verse 49 where it says the torrent burst against that house and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. The critical difference between the two houses, it cannot be exaggerated. The difference is found in the foundation. So we've seen what the difference is not and then what some people choose to build upon, the obvious what it is, as well, the hearing and doing of Christ's word. The obvious question now should be, how do you know what kind of foundation your life is being built upon? I mean, it's underground. How do you tell? 
Well, Jesus tells us how we can know. He says there is a test for all lives and for all houses, and he calls it the storm, or you could call it the flood. I was told when I moved to Pittsburgh that Pittsburgh is not prone to natural disasters, no hurricanes, not many tornadoes, that kind of thing, except flooding in certain parts of the area are, are a problem. So whatever it is, the storm, the flood, depending on what part of the globe you're in, you might pick a different term to use to refer to the challenges that a house may experience. Of the well-founded house, again, he says, when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house, could not shake it because it had been well Built, but the one who is heard and is not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. The torrent burst against it, immediately it collapsed, and again, the ruin of that house was great. The flood will reveal it, and Christ uses the idea of a flood to speak of tests and of trials. Like acid tests the gold, the storm tests the foundation of a house. Trials, you see, will, will show the difference between the true believer and, and the, the false, the phony, the make-believe. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says there that your faith, once tested, is proven genuine by your endurance through the fiery trials. <laughs> you know, you, you watch some believers go through trials. You ever, you ever watch this? And you watch some believers go through trials that you, you look at and go, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how I would do if that happened to me. We talked about the folks in Nigeria a couple weeks ago, you know, the burning down of their church and the pastor's house. And how could I survive that? I look around, I see some folks that have watched a beloved spouse struggle and then eventually succumb to cancer. You wonder, could I, could I endure that and still cling to Jesus? A child gets sick, maybe even dies. Could I endure that? Somebody you know got that horrid phone call that all parents dread. and Wow, how, how, what would I do? And some, somebody said this, I thought it wise. They said, you know, God doesn't give us grace for the trials we imagine. <laughs> thought that was helpful. He doesn't give us grace for the trials that we can conjure up in our own anxieties. He gives us grace for the trials that by his providence he sends our way. And so that's our confidence. So we don't know how we can do it, but we're confident that if we cling to Jesus, we're going to get through it. If you know the story of Job, you remember uh, Satan told God that Job only loved God because God had prospered him. Yeah, of course Job likes you. Look how good you've made everything for him. Uh, and so you don't want Satan saying that about you, by the way. <laughs> uh, God said, all right, let's, uh, we, we, Satan said, let's put Job to the test. And God, God agreed and uh, allowed Satan to test Job. Uh, actually, Beth and I, uh, two weeks ago when we were in Florida, we went to a service and the pastor was preaching in part out of the story of Job. Uh, and how God took away all his possessions and killed all his kids he, and then took his health. But he left him with his wife. <laughs> that was part of Satan's strategy uh, in his particular case. He took away everything except his wife, and, uh, and she was just trying to drag him down yet, yet further. Um, but God allowed the devil to test Job's love with great calamity, great storms, storms which served as a test 
Now, none of us, I expect, will ever be tested quite as severely as Job was, but we all have our storms of a sort, some common storms. Your girlfriend breaks up with you. You lose your job. Your child gets sick, sometimes dies. You get insulted. You can add on to that list. What have been your storms? in life. Did you know they were tests? Maybe money and success could be your test. Those can stress a life as well. Anything that puts pressure on your spiritual house becomes a flood of sorts. How will you respond? Will you, will you, will you, uh, will you pass? What, what will determine your test results? I remember an experience I had in seminary uh, that I, I knew was a storm. Nothing like what came later in my life, but it was definitely a storm. I felt rejected. I, I felt lonely. I felt like a terrible failure, and I felt like no one understood me. Uh, at that moment, it seemed like all of my emotional supports had been stripped out from under me. Most of you over 30 know what that's like, right? Some of you under 30 do, I know as well. But you know what that's like? I, I had hit rock bottom. Praise God. <laughs> when I hit rock bottom, you know what I discovered? I had a rock bottom. <laughs> and, and that was a wonderful thing to discover. I discovered in that experience that I did have a foundation for my life that could not be shaken. Do you have a rock bottom to your life? Or when things go wrong, do you just keep sliding and falling right into despair? You see, there are, there are basically two reactions to the flood. You either survive it and grow stronger as a result, or it destroys you and wipes you out. Why is it that you will get two persons, two persons will get hit by the same tragedy of equal intensity and one survives and his faith is strengthened by it while the other is obliterated and comes out with no faith at all? Two houses, they look the same, they experience the same storm. One stands, the other does not. The difference is simple. One person built on the rock of Christ's word, the other person built on something else. Around the same time, many years ago, I had two close friends who were both dumped by their lovers. One was engaged. Maybe both of them were close to that point in their relationship, and their, their ladies broke up with them, and they were both deeply, deeply hurt. One friend went through the experience and abandoned Jesus the other clung to his faith and matured through it. And I remember uh, as a young man looking at this experience and asking myself, what's the difference? What's the difference between Jody and David? The answer was that the friend who dumped Jesus, I believe, had built his religion on friends, people, feelings. When, when Christian friends let him down, 
his house tumbled. It was never built on Christ's words. Luke 8.13 speaks of those who fall away from the faith. Those on the rocky soil, those who when they hear receive the word with joy, these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. No firm root. It's just another metaphor for the same thing, right? The foundation, what's under the ground you can't see, but which provides stability to endure the heat of the sun or the winds of the storm. No firm root, no foundation. My other friend, the one who stood firm, was what I would call a truth-oriented person. His faith was built on things that did not change, and when his fiance said goodbye... He stood firm. Charles Spurgeon writes this. We read that when the flood beat upon the wise man's house, it could not shake it. That is very beautiful. Not only could it not carry it away, but it could not shake it. I see the man. He lost his money and became poor, but he did not give up his faith. It could not shake it. He was ridiculed and slandered, and many of his former friends gave him the cold shoulder, but it could not shake it. He went to Jesus under his great trial, and he was sustained. It could not shake it. He was very sick and his spirit was depressed within him. But still he held his confidence in Christ. It could not shake it. He was near to die. He knew that he must soon depart out of this world. But all the pains of death and the certainty of dissolution could not shake it. He died as he lived, firm as a rock, rejoicing as much as ever. Nay, even more because he was nearer to the kingdom. And the fruition of all his hopes, it could not shake it. End quote from Brother Spurgeon. You know the great hymn we sing by Martin Luther, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Another great hymn says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy Gale, that's a storm, my anchor holds within the veil, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And what's the refrain? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Praise God we have a solid rock. We have a rock bottom upon which to lean. Isaiah 54 verse 11, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and your foundations will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. All your sons will be taught of the Lord and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You will be from You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near to you. Why? Because you have a strong foundation. That one laid in precious gems and stones. Give me a foundation like that. A foundation laid in precious stones in, spiritually speaking, divine righteousness, and then bring on the storms. My house will not be shaken. We're going to move on next Sunday to see just how you can build a good house that will endure the storms. But for today, I close with this warning. The flood is coming. The flood is coming. Don't don't say it's not. Don't be like Noah's neighbors. 
who deny that the flood was coming. The flood, the storm, it's coming upon your life. Maybe to this point you have lived a sheltered life free from the serious storms of life. Believe me, your day, it will come. Some of you are sort of still in the storm now. If it doesn't come in this life, though, there is the promise of judgment for every one of us. That, the judgment, the day we stand before the Lord, that's the last and greatest storm of our lives. And I fear that you may stand before that place of judgment, presenting to God a house built on emotion or people or prosperity or human ideas. And when the winds of God's judgment put it to the test, your house will be blown to smithereens. The building will be condemned, the builder labeled a fool, and condemned forever. On that day, that day will indeed reveal your foundation. Would you wait until then to find out? I hope not. There's another way to know. Go home, grab the shovel of self-examination, and dig beneath the surface of your life. Honestly, look at yourself. Upon what is your soul leaning? Is the basic building block of your life, is the foundation of it, the central thing, the core of your existence, the hearing and the doing of the Word of our Savior? The hearing and the doing of the Word of our Savior. I know for some of you it's not that way. You've built a house without that foundation. You are in grave danger and grave peril. The storm is coming. Verse 49, the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was, say it with me, great. And the ruin of that house was great. It fell, and great was the fall of it. And so I say with Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Begin that self-examination now. I've asked Amber to come and lead us in prayer in just a moment. But let's take that shovel and begin to dig deep into our souls to figure out as best we can what is there and then respond by the grace of God with more fervent commitment to hearing and doing. Father God, too often I, we, lean a little too heavily on the faulty foundations, the shifting sand that the world offers. Financial security, popularity, power, beauty, relationships, the list goes on and on. We forget the ways in which those things have failed us before, and we look to them for the support that only you can provide. Please forgive us. And thank you. Thank you, Father, that for those of us who belong to you, 
you reveal the folly of these worldly leanings. In fact, it is by your grace that you allow them to collapse right out from under us. It is often a painful fall, but it is the best fall, because in the end, at the bottom, we find ourselves in your sovereign and tender care. We find that you are enough. And Lord, there are many, many we love, maybe even some in this very room whose house is constructed with the boards of religious notions and the walls of Christian songs and the mortar of Christian activities. And yet it is lacking the foundation of truth, obedience, love for and submission to you, the only rock and redeemer. For those, Father God, we ask that you would bring a flood into their lives, a flood that will reveal the faulty foundation so that they may begin to build anew on Jesus's blood and righteousness and become like him by hearing and doing God's will. Lord, give us ears to hear and help us to always cling to the truth, to cling to Jesus and know him as our solid rock and our firm foundation. Amen. <laughs>